The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Bright Side. I wanted to start this week's episode a little differently. Of course, I have bright spots of this week. There are always bright spots. Actually, just sitting here eating my quinoa oatmeal that I love to make every morning is a bright spot for me, and I had a really funny squirrel trying to jump into my bird feeder over and over again. And it's one of those bird feeders that's against the glass window. So it was pretty funny this morning watching the squirrel doing his best to get in there. Two bright spots just from today. But actually, I wanted to start this episode a little differently because I often ask my guests if they have anybody who's going any through anything difficult in their life who they'd want all of my listeners to think about or just have in their thoughts. And I woke up thinking about one of my close friends this morning who is in the middle of the IVF process and she's wanted children since I met her. And I think I first met her when she was 23. It was all she talked about was how bad she wanted babies. She was so excited for babies one day. And that was many years ago. And, you know, she's just had a a little bit of an unpredictable process and path to getting pregnant. And she's just in the middle of of doing IVF right now. And I, I just wanted to, I don't know, I thought I woke up this morning and said a little prayer for her and just tried to envision her pregnant and really just want to send positive thoughts and energy to her this morning. So I was hoping that everybody would do the same everyone who's listening because, yeah, that's just someone really important to me and special in my life who's going through something challenging at the moment. On the same kind of note, my guests this week are Lauren Paul and Molly Thompson, the founders of The Kind Campaign. And it's an organization whose cause I think is incredibly important. And I think the two of them have done an amazing job of identifying a real need in society and in our world and and using their own experiences to make the lives of others better. And I just think it's an incredible organization and cause, and it's something that I think was really pivotal for us to have, especially now with, you know, social media becoming such an important factor in young people's lives, whether it should be or not, I think for better or worse, especially for young women in school and the rise of cyberbullying and, you know, suicide among children. I think this program came along at a perfect time and they're making a huge difference. And I'm really excited for you all to get to hear a little bit more about what they're doing and get to know the two of them better. I really enjoyed my conversation with them. So I hope you'll enjoy listening. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I know I'm really excited to talk with you guys. What you're doing is the perfect fit for this podcast because it's really just everything that I, I and I and I also feel very passionate about anti-bullying. But I'd love to go back and just well, first of all, introduce you guys to all of our listeners today. We've got Lauren Paul and Molly Thompson here, the co-founders of the Kind Campaign. I'd just love to hear from the two of you where you got started and what the mission behind Kind Campaign is. Yeah. So Molly and I have been running Kind Campaign for over a decade now. We founded it, really actually started laying the groundwork for it in 2008, um, which is just so crazy that it's been that long. We just celebrated our 12th anniversary, I guess we call it, right? (laughs) Of founding Kind Campaign, where we officially became a 501c3. But yeah, just those initial building blocks came out of 
just experiences. I personally had a really traumatic experience with a group of girls in middle school. You know, during our assemblies, I go into detail about, you know, everything that happened. But really, I think the most kind of crucial part of my story is, you know, the effect of that experience. And, you know, those effects are why we do the work that we do. But, you know, as a 13-year-old girl, well, really 11 through 13, it was seventh and eighth grade, I just completely lost myself in this experience of being ostracized by my friends and um, went through a severe depression and eating disorder, was suicidal um, at one point. And it was just this space that I felt so lost and so alone. You know, I just didn't want to wake up in the morning and face those girls in the hallways. And the details of what happened to me during that time actually aren't really so out of the ordinary from things that we hear like on a daily basis from girls. And now there are like so many more things that girls deal with. You know, you can pay me to go back to school with social media and everything that kids face now. But but those experiences have profound effects. And, you know, and that's why we do what we do. You know, growing up for me, I just felt so saddened that at least up until recently, really, it was kind of accepted as this rite of passage that you know, girls are competitive with each other and, and, you know, have these issues, you know, you, you'd always hear, oh, I just have guy friends. Girls are like so difficult. I feel like that's changed so much now. And that conversation has evolved. Thank God. And I feel like we actually were a really big part of that, which we feel really proud of. But up until that point, when we started this bullying was just not even talked about, there was nothing in schools. There was no programming. Um, if anything, it was kind of mocked and just, you know, this thing that we went through. And so we really didn't know what the response would be because again, nobody had talked about this up until that point. And so the first thing we did um, was we got together the summer going into our senior year at Pepperdine, which is where we met. We were in film school together and talked about this idea to make a documentary film about all this. We loved documentary films, still do. Um, and at that point, we're really uh, deep in filmmaking and thought that could be a great way to shed light on this issue. And it was really through the shooting of our documentary um, right when we graduated from college in 2009 and we were watching girls and women just pour out their hearts and share their stories. And at that point, we had kind of laid the groundwork for an assembly program. And we were kind of test piloting that not only to get footage for the film, but to see if it worked and to see if that was kind of another branch of Kind Campaign that we could start. And it was just this life-changing moment for both of us. Um, again, not only hearing these stories and realizing, wow, this is such a universal issue that people have been waiting to, to take seriously and talk about, but we immediately saw the effects of our work and how our assemblies and these programs and specifically these activities we had created these opportunities for girls to mend and heal and apologize and really change and save a lot of lives. And so that was like the very first chapter, which again was over 10 years ago. And then it grew and grew and grew, which Molly, if you want to kind of talk about where it went from there. Yeah. So since that time, we, Lauren said, we were kind of test piloting this idea for assembly programs when we were on the road shooting the film. And because of our experience and what we witnessed, we were like, okay, how do we get this program into as many schools as possible? And so that was our initial goal after shooting the film and after, you know, finishing the doc was just getting the assembly program into schools. And so 
that has really kind of maintained and been our, you know, number one goal since, but we've also branched off and now have developed a lot of different programs um, as we've seen kind of the climate change in schools and um, really addressing different things going on. So now we have a kind club curriculum, which the two of us wrote after really witnessing the immense amount of change that did happen during these assemblies, we wanted to be sure that the conversation didn't end, you know, after this day, day long, you know, event um, where right. girls are so excited, you know, they want to create change. They're committing to, you know, be kinder to each other, to stand up for people. Um, we didn't want that energy to just kind of fade out. And so that's when we developed the kind club curriculum. So there's cl- kind clubs in schools all over the world. It just offers a safe place for girls to come together and, and to dive into deeper conversation about this issue. And then just about issues of being, you know, a lady growing up in your middle school and high school years and just really, you know, kind of committing to kindness and being there for one another. We also have a kind ambassador program, which is our volunteer program. And so there are people all over the world who are kind ambassadors and they bring the kind assembly and a kind club into their local schools and communities. And it's really incredible to see we have, you know, active kind ambassadors all over the world. And it's awesome to see them feel empowered to go into, you know, maybe it was their middle school or their high school, or um, also to seek out, you know, new schools in a new area that they might be living in and bring this program to those schools. And so actually during this time, during this last year, we've kind of developed new ways to get in touch with our and connect with our kind ambassadors. And so it's been really cool to just hear from them kind of how, you know, them being a part of kind campaign has has like changed their lives in a way of like being able to bring this program to people. So if anyone listening, you know, throughout this, you're interested in becoming, <laughs> I was going to say, I want to, I want to be a kind yeah, ambassador. Um, you should. <laughs> I would love to, I think, I mean, that's wonderful. And it makes, it makes so much sense because how the two of you obviously can't be absolutely everywhere, but I'm wondering how proactive are the schools about implementing this project? Because I, Obviously, it's it's hugely beneficial. But to your point, Lauren, like you were saying before, this has always been kind of something that everybody looked at as a rite of passage, you know, bullying or the yeah. way girls treated each other. And I don't know. I, I just wonder because it's sort of more of a social issue. And, and does it cost the schools money? I mean, how does how have they been mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. So Kind Campaign has grown exponentially every year now. Well, prior to COVID, and we can talk about kind of how we've shifted things and how this has looked now, but kind campaign assemblies were taking place in schools pretty much every day of the school year all over the world. We'd have on average anywhere between 250 to 400 assemblies taking place every school year, whether they were led by Molly and myself or kind ambassadors or teachers or parents, volunteers. So it's been, you know, our programming has really become very widespread. Um, And I think it's a real testament to how proactive schools really have been to implement this conversation and create change in their schools. Cause I'd say, you know, Molly and I have had this really interesting kind of lens throughout all of this, where we've been able to really be actively in schools, working with faculty, working with students again, over the last 12 years. And so much has changed and evolved in, in, good ways and in bad ways. You know, when we started this Instagram didn't exist. So to kind of see, you know, how, in real time to see how that affects girls and to watch it happen has been such an interesting thing. Or again, you know, when we started this, bullying was not a conversation. There was 
no, you know, programming in schools. Whereas now when we go into a school, it's rare that we walk in and don't see posters and banners around the school that say, you know, this is a no tolerance zone when it comes to bullying, or this is who you go to if you need help, or here's like, you know, a club you can sit with at lunch if you're alone. Like those sorts of themes and topics are so top of mind for schools because it did really become a national conversation. And, you know, I think that really that shift happened when the news kind of started covering, you know, several suicides Suicides, that were happening. Yeah. um, Several years ago and really started talking about how serious this is. And so, you know, I'd say we've seen a lot of positive change happen, um, not only within our own programs and within, you know, what we do specifically, but just the overall tone in schools, not only, you know, from faculty really trying to, you know, set a kind, you know, tone in an environment, you know, day one when school starts, but even amongst the students, you know, to just, just to see how over the course of a decade, as we've been doing this, you know, when Molly and I are in schools, we have several activities that we do with the, with the girls and there's opportunities for girls to come up and, you know, share their voice and to, and to talk about their experiences or to apologize. And even just to see how that has kind of evolved over the last, you know, several years, it just really feels like young girls feel so much more empowered and brave and confident to just come forward and say what's on their heart, whether that's, you know, apologizing in front of a thousand peers to someone they've been bullying or coming up and sharing that they're gay and, and they want, you know, anyone else who wants to come out and have a friend, you know, that they can talk to that person and, or to talk to them and and to have an ally and, you know, just really like coming forward and talking about life and experiences I'd say has become so much more um, bold over the last few years, which I think is a, you know, mirrors society and just kind of like the conversations people are having in general, which is so beautiful, but it really just goes to show you how that trickles down into schools and how, you know, young kids are watching and as adults open doors and include people and, you know, give everyone a seat at the table, you know, young kids mirror that and do that within their schools as well. So we've seen, you know, a lot of really beautiful, positive things happen, which I'm so happy to be able to say that. It sounds that way. I was, the next thing I was going to ask you was how receptive students are to these exercises, because I cannot imagine that when I was in middle school or elementary school or high school, I would have ever felt comfortable walking in front of my entire class and sharing something so private or so vulnerable and how, I mean, is that obviously you, you guys encourage that through your program. I'd love to know a little more about what those exercises look like, or, I mean, is it a challenge to get people to open up or do you feel like, I don't know if parents are starting to have these conversations at home more, or like you said, if it's just as a society that because we're becoming more open to discussing things publicly, that it it is just a trickle down effect. But I mean, that's amazing to me that at that age, people would take responsibility like that. You know, I think it's a product of a few things. I think one of them being just the environment that we create in the assembly. It was, you know, our intention from the beginning to create a really safe space for these girls to come together and and throughout the course of the assembly too, because we do the interactive activities towards the end. And so we kind of build this trust with them, you know, throughout the assembly, which I think really helps. And so also we go in and we're, you know, like in our kind campaign tees and, you know, jeans and thank goodness they think that we're like, 
fresh out of college still, um, <laughs> knock on wood, that helps also, uh, you know, they, you know, they see us as like just enough older to like be cool in their eyes, but not like too old, um, to where they, well, I was going to say it must take some aspect of making this a cool thing, because I still feel like that would be an element that kids would care about. Sure. They have to really look at us as like an older sister mm-hmm. figure. Mm-hmm. Like when we're in there, sometimes we like sometimes take off our wedding yeah. rings or turn them around or like, we don't want them to know we have kids, you know, it's just, yeah. it kind of like puts you in their mom's category, right. you know? Right. And, so just, and teachers even see that too, part. like, cause there's teachers yeah. who are the same age as us, but because of the role that they play in the school and in the, you know, these students' lives, like they could say what we're saying, but it would come across differently because in their mind, you know, the student's mind, it's like, well, that's my teacher. So like, we are these new people coming in and, you know, again, they like think that, um, we're not <laughs> some, some older hip there. college. Students. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so we go in and, you know, we open it up and one of the first things that we do is, is share our experiences. Like Lauren mentioned hers in middle school and mine from high school, just to kind of show them that we've been, you know, sitting in the chairs that they're sitting in going through a lot of the same social pressures that they are currently going through. And I think that really breaks the ice too. And again, creates that safe space where, you know, they see us and they're like, oh, you, you know, you know, you know what I'm feeling right now. And then also they see us and, you know, part of what we're sharing is that we got through what we were going through. And that's a huge message of us sharing our stories is because obviously when you're, you know, a middle schooler or a high schooler going through something that feels like your entire world, you can't see beyond that. That consumes every thought that consumes, you know, every second of your day, whether it's something going on, like in school or on your phone, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in that. And so I think through us sharing our experiences and showing them like we were there, but we're here to tell you like it does get better and and to hold on. And we share our experiences and then we introduce the film and we screen the film Finding Kind, um, which is amazing that it's still kind of lives at the heart of all of our programming. And we feel very proud that it is still, you know, very relevant today because there have been a lot of, you know, changes over the last 10 years, but it's a really powerful film and really takes them on a journey of, you know, seeing people again, that have gone through their own experiences and, and come out on the other side and, and also shown, you know, how intense the effects of bullying are while leaving them with a really hopeful message at the end. And, and I think because of that, and because of kind of how the film leaves them there, you know, they finish watching this film, we come back in oftentimes, you know, they're like wiping tears away um, from kind of going through that experience together. And then that's when we dive into the interactive activities. And first we start off with a kind pledge, um, which just allows them to feel empowered to use their voice to take action and create change. And like Lauren was mentioning, it's been really incredible just to see, you know, the things that people are, you know, standing up and, and pledging to do in front of their peers, um, you know, to stand up for others and to to be there for people that they may not even know. And it's just a really powerful moment for them to, again, just use their voice in, in that way. And then we dive into the kind apology, which is really our favorite part of the entire assembly, just because it creates this really raw moment of, you know, sharing with them that we've all been on both sides of this issue. We've all been affected by the things that have been said and done to us, but we've also 
all said and done things that have negatively affected other people. And, and that's a huge message of kind campaign is that we're not pointing the finger at anyone and saying, you know, you're a mean girl or you're a bully. We actually don't even love that term um, just because we have all, you know, been on both sides. And so I think by creating that space of acknowledging that um, and then allowing them to use their voice to make amends and to apologize to someone, it is so incredible to see almost how excited they are to be able to take ownership over things that they've said and done. And oftentimes when we were in schools, um, you know, we would see a girl filling out her apology and then standing up and then walking to the other side of, you know, the auditorium and handing it to the person because they didn't even want to wait until the end of the assembly. They wanted to, to start that healing process right then. And, and it just creates such a beautiful moment for them. Yeah, that's, that's so nice that you allow them the opportunity. Cause actually, now that I think about it, I mean, probably as you're, like you said, if you've experienced somebody saying something bad about you on either end, or you've, you know, you've been the one saying it at some point, you know what it feels like to have had something bad said about you. And it's nice to, and then you probably feel are holding on to this guilt. Exactly. And it's, it's so wonderful to have the opportunity to, yeah, to make amends for that. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, one of the, the messages behind Ken campaign is that giving an apology and receiving an apology, it's not only healing for the person receiving it, it's also really healing for you, the person who's giving it as well, so that you don't have to, you know, look back in 10 or 20 years and, and wish you could go back into your middle school or high school hallways and, and done something differently and really putting it into perspective like that for them, I think also just shows them again, the power of their voice and the power of an apology and, and just how beautiful the healing process can be. So we wrap up after the kind apology with the kind cards, which, which is just a really simple activity. It's just saying something kind to someone in their life, in the school, it could be a friend. Our favorite um, are often the ones where it's someone that is more of an acquaintance, like someone that they don't really know that well, you know, and then they're like standing up in front of their entire female student body saying like to a girl in art class that they've never even spoken to, you know, how talented that they think that they are. And then you see the person receiving the kind card in the audience, just overwhelmed with like, you know, I didn't even know that the person standing up there knew that I existed. And so it just ends on a really positive note. And to circle back to your question of like, is it like hard to like get them to get involved? Oftentimes we're like having, we, we are having to apologize and say, I'm so sorry. Like we can't call on everyone. Like we're short on time um, because they're so excited with each activity to be able to, again, I think it's just them feeling empowered and then realizing the power of their voice and using it in those different ways. It's just a really special time for them. And, and we just feel so lucky to be able to you know, be in those rooms or now, you know, see this all play out on Zoom in this virtual space. One of my favorite parts actually is after the assembly when Molly and I are leaving the school and we're like walking through the school hallways and we'll see girls at their lockers, like handing each other apologies or we'll like look and see like two girls outside the bathroom, like crying and hugging and like a group of girls, you know, doing like a big bear hug together. We have the most amazing pictures of just like girls, you know, young girls in their, in their, school hallways when they're like out of the assembly and they're like back into the real world, just like breaking the ice and having these important conversations and acknowledging each other. And it's, 
It's like, and like walking out of the school with that energy bubbling. It's so cool. Yeah. I can't imagine that's got to be so wonderful to see. I've seen some of the photos actually. And I thought that, and they're, they're so touching. Are there any instances that you've experienced that specifically stand out of, of girls that were having a particularly hard time or. There's so many. Cause I may, I imagine you guys have probably saved people's lives. I don't know if that's getting a little dramatic. I'm <laughs> getting carried away, but I, I would, I would think because I just wish I mean, if this had existed when I was that age, I feel like my life certainly would have gone a lot differently. And I mean, I'm, to, to what you both said earlier, you know, I made it through and I'm, I've made it to a good place in my life. But I do think that it took kind of figuring a lot of that out for myself as an adult. You know, I still had sure. friends, you know, not that long ago, uh, a, a close friend of mine who actually kind of founded a fun pastime to talk shit about other people, which blew my mind. And we actually aren't even really friends anymore because I, I realized, you know, that's not the kind of thing I want around me. But when you're younger, you don't really have, like you said, the confidence to make those decisions. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. We get so much feedback, not only from, you know, faculty who lets us know about things that happen, you know, even after the assemblies and, you know, into the rest of the school year, the effects of it kind of trickling out, but from students as well. And one story that when you said about like saving lives that came to mind was this girl, Rachel, we were speaking at a school in Utah a few years ago. So after every assembly, we take a group picture and then we always post it and we'll like, you know, scroll through the comments and respond back to girls. And so we had posted a picture from the assembly and we were actually driving to our next assembly and I was scrolling through and Molly was driving. And I remember reading this out loud. I was like, Oh my gosh, listen to this comment. And she said in this comment that she'd been bullied by this group of girls and how, you know, it just had like completely ruined her life and left her so distraught. And in the comment, she said that that morning she had made the decision that after school, she was going to commit suicide that day. And that she, you know, she went into the kind campaign assembly and at first was kind of just like rolling her eyes and just didn't really care or, you know, just wasn't ready to, to receive that obviously because of what she was going through. But she said that, you know, through going that experience, hearing these, you know, stories from the film, watching her peers interact and, you know, apologize and share things. And she actually ended up coming up and sharing her kind card in front of her peers um, she said that that experience at the assembly made her realize that she wasn't alone and that, you know, what she was going through wasn't worth ending her life over. And then the last sentence she wrote was that the kind campaign assembly saved her life. And so when you read something like that, it's just like, it hits you obviously in so many ways and just feeling so thankful that we were there that day that we like caught her in time and, you know, that she was able to receive that message and to be open to it and to have the the courage within herself to just try and have a bit of a perspective shift to know that, you know, as real as what she's going through and how like valid those feelings are that, you know, this is one chapter of her story and that there's so much ahead of her and, you know, so many things to look forward to that have nothing to do with, you know, this specific social experience taking place. But obviously when you're in it, you know, in school, it's your whole world. So it's so hard sometimes to see outside of that, but she's amazing. And we actually, uh, we reached out to her right when we saw that and, you know, started to dialogue with her and we still have like a very close relationship with her. Actually, she's like thriving and doing so well. Yeah. She's um, right now in graduate school to become wow. a therapist <laughs> um, for, for, for students or for, she wants to 
do therapy for students in school. Um, and so, you know, kind of feels like all of that kind of became a part of her journey, which is so cool. And we've done like different projects with her and she's a kind ambassador, you know, volunteer for kind wow. campaign. Yeah. Cause this has so, been going on long enough now. You guys actually probably do get to see it come full circle in so many instances. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, for sure. We, like first realized that too, you know, that some of the girls, that we spoke, you know, on the road trip, like that are in the film when we realized how old they are now. And we're like, like old now. We're old yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And then because you, you were talking about how Instagram didn't exist when you guys launched this. And I feel like all of social media came to a lot more prominence over the last maybe 10 years. And cancel culture has become a big deal. I've been pretty outspoken about my thoughts on cancel culture. My biggest concern with cancel culture was that even if it seems to be more of an adult thing happening at the moment, or, you know, I mean, it's going to trickle down. Everybody watches what, you know, what everyone older is doing. And that I was worried that it was going to get to the point where it was in elementary schools and that little kids were canceling each other for, you know, silly little things. Mm -hmm. And is that something that you have integrated into your programs or how do you address? Cause I mean, I think cyberbullying is a whole other monster. Yeah. It's been really interesting kind of like, you know, we've talked about kind of having this front row seat to see how the different thing, like social media has um, just impacted the ways in which middle schoolers and high schoolers not only communicate, but then can, can bully each other. And then I think to take that a step further, just to see the serious effects that cyberbullying has in, you know, in our experience, it was like AIM and, you know, that like felt very real and that was your world. And now there's like a million different things that are at these kids' fingertips. And so for them, they don't get any break from whatever their experience is at school because it follows them home. Like it's attached to them all the time. Whereas, you know, at least before, um, you know, everyone had a cell phone and before it was like all of these apps that you were just always connected to, you at least like got a break when you, you know, got home from school and it was, you know, you were forced to wait your turn, like for your, you know, one family computer or whatever you, you know, had like a little break from the world that you were dealing with at school. And so I think that has also played a huge factor in not only like what is going on on social media, but then also again, just like the weight and then therefore the effects of uh, cyberbullying on young people, because it truly, it truly does consume their entire lives, you know, it's with them 24 seven and there's no way for them to turn it off, whether it's something that like they're a part of, or, um, actually someone mentioned in the film, it was like, not only like to be on top of like something that they might be dealing with, like drama within their own lives, or just like staying in touch and aware of like, is something about to happen to me? Um, like, is someone talking about me? You know, something new is happening, but we've seen, we've definitely seen that play out um, even within our assemblies, one in particular that comes to mind, um, it was actually at Lauren's, your high school, right? And this was now, you know, several years ago when we were speaking at her high school. And oftentimes when we're speaking, our eyes kind of go towards, you know, certain people that we are like, oh, well, we might be having a conversation with them afterwards, just because we can tell that there's something weighing on them. And there's one of the girls that did end up coming up to us afterwards was one that we noticed during the assembly. And, you know, we have really heavy conversations with girls after these assemblies and they open up to us about, 
you know, things related to bullying, but then also just things in their own lives, maybe something going on at home, maybe an eating disorder, you know, maybe cutting just like some really serious things that, you know, they'll share with us. And so based on just the emotion that this girl was wearing on her face, we thought it was going to be, you know, something pretty serious. So we, you know, are to the side talking with her and she shared with us that there was a group of girls that, you know, were her friends that basically created a system for her on social media. And so if she didn't have enough likes on a picture, enough new followers a day, enough comments, like they had all this criteria. And if she didn't meet those things, then she couldn't sit with them at lunch. She couldn't say hi to them in the hallways, basically went to school and had no friends. And, you know, she's telling us this just like tears streaming down her face Mm. and then was sharing. And this was so heartbreaking on, you know, on top of what she shared, then shared that. So every night she would, you know, take time that she should have been either doing her homework or just reading a book or just doing something that, you know, she enjoyed, she would create, you know, fake accounts to then follow herself and like make, like create things to try and meet this, you know, criteria that these people put in place so that she could go to school the next day and have, you know, friends to sit with and and to say hi to. And it was just heartbreaking for us to see again, how all consuming this was for her. And, and it, and it was, you know, it was like in her, that was her reality that, you know, is very real to her. And, you know, of course we shared with her just again, how limited this time was or is, you know, in school and how, you know, she would get through what she was going through and, and then just, you know, talk through a bunch of different things about the value of friendship and herself and, you know, all of that. But um, that was a moment for us that really hit us just the impact um, and the weight that social media and specifically, yeah. you know, Instagram and, and apps like that can carry because, because there is so much value on, you know, a like or a comment for people no matter what your age, but then when you are in a middle school or high school setting, and that is what not only you're like the weight that you're placing on yourself to have that, but then when that's like coming from other people as well, and that, you know, determines who your friends are. It was so heartbreaking to listen to her, you know, share those things with us. That is heartbreaking. I can't imagine that kind of pressure and to have all of all of your value kind of placed on this app. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Wow. So then, I mean, in those instances, did you do additional training prior to attending? Cause I mean, that's a, that's a lot for the two of you to be, you yeah. know, ha- having these conversations and being understanding what's the right thing to say or how to handle them. I mean, does yeah. somebody go travel with you to these assemblies who's trained? Yeah, that's a great question. So we require the school's counselor to be at the assemblies so that in those instances we can you know, pass these students off to the school counselor and, you know, they're there at the school. So they have like a system in place to deal with it in real time. So yeah, I mean, that happens all the time. Molly and I end up staying at, you know, the school if we're able to, you know, for, you know, 20 minutes after just talking with girls and connecting them with certain teachers or counselors um, just to work out issues that, you know, might have to do with bullying, but like Molly said, might have something completely different, you know, something else happening at home or, you know, we hear so many heartbreaking things that it's hard for us a lot of times, like to walk out of those schools and to just, especially in certain places where, you know, we've talked about, like, I don't know, you just like you, you leave and your head starts spinning of like, will this girl ever like be able to get out of that situation? Like, Ugh, right, to, so, to not take it home with you. Yeah. It, it, it can be really hard in, in certain, you know, when we hear certain things that are, you know, about 
abuse and things, you know, happening, which does happen once in a while. Yeah. Molly and I didn't have any specific psychology training or anything. We were film students Mm -hmm. with a lot of like community service mentorship experience in our life up until that point. And then it was really just through the work that we did, you know, and doing this for 10 years that I consider us professionals in this space. Now we really learned along the way to like kind of how to have those conversations, but always with the guidance of a counselor and, you know, making sure those professionals are there to be able to take over those conversations. We also pay an in-house counselor so that, you know, in instances where we receive emails, you know, with really, you know, sensitive content that we're able to pass that along and have someone, you know, handle that outside of the two of us. Cause legally we really can't, you know, deal with certain things. And so, yeah, that's always been a really important part of our infrastructure. I mean, I think I imagine that the best thing that anybody could, you know, at the very least it, um, would be to have somebody to, to just listen, which obviously the two of yeah. you are perfectly qualified to do. And I, I think, yeah. I mean, it's, it's wonderful that you, that you do that. And I'm sure, like you said, playing that big sister role, because uh, like a lot of people don't have that or somebody in their life that they yeah. feel is a safe place to go to. So that's yeah, so great. You're absolutely right. Like so many times during, actually during those like little sessions we have after the assembly, it is just a girl that wants to come up and just say what's on her heart. And, you know, maybe her friend is standing next to her and we're able to like, you know, talk about how special their relationship is. And, you know, just like those little moments, a lot of times it is just them wanting to, you know, connect and and be able to share what's on their heart, which is so sweet. Yeah. And it's more of a sisterhood kind of thing where, yeah, yeah, that's really great. Before I let you guys go, I'm wondering for either parents who have kids in school and they're, this is something that they're interested in kind of working on at home with their kids or even for adults who are struggling in there. Cause I think that it's still as much as I would love to think that everyone grows out of this dynamic. I think that it's still an issue for people in their social circles to I, just, if you guys have tips for people. Well, I guess speaking to parents, it was interesting. Molly and I just we didn't have kids up until a few years ago. And so we would always talk about like, you know, going into schools and, you know, looking out to this sea of girls and having these conversations would change once we had kids and thinking about it from a parent's perspective. And, you know, even thinking back on our own parents' experiences when we were going through it and seeing how traumatic it is on a family when your you know, child is is going through something like this. I don't know if my mom, I don't think my mom made this up, but she always says this. She probably got it from someone. A parent is only as happy as their least happy child, Mm. which I just think is gotta be so true. You know, like when you're, when one of your kids is, is going through something, it, it just takes over. It affects the whole family. But something that we've shared with parents along the way that we think is a really good piece of advice is to get your kids involved in extracurricular activities, if you're able to, to really talk with them about, you know, what they're interested in and whether that's a sport or something artistic or science camp or, you know, whatever that is, um, youth group. And the reason why is because in a lot of situations, these kids have to go to school. They have to see these people and you're kind of stuck in this situation if you're able to switch schools, if, if that's an option and something, you know, through conversation with your kid that you think is a good option, I think that's always, you know, a discussion to be had. But for people who, you know, have to walk those hallways and are really having a hard time, being able to find communities outside of school can be a really empowering, really important thing because you're able to meet people that are like-minded who are, you know, into the same things as you, you know, people who might not go to your school. So you're able to like, 
step away from that identity that you have within your school and just like be yourself with new friends. And, um, I think that creates, you know, a a new sense of confidence and self-awareness and self-love, you know, not only to, you know, build in community with new people, but also to just get your mind and heart thinking about the things that you love. And for me, looking back on my middle school experience, those were lifesavers for me. I love that advice. Yeah. And, and of course, just to talk to your kids, you know, just to, you know, have an open relationship and to try and break that wall down a little bit and, you know, ask them what's going on. And, you know, that can be a little hard. So if it is maybe tell them about experiences you had, don't be scared to kind of step into their shoes and talk about things that you went through, you know, on either side of the issue. Cause I think that really, that's a really big reason why I think girls from the get-go really connect with me and Molly's. Cause the first thing we do is we say like, we were, you know, in your shoes and this is what we went through. So I think that's an important part too. You know, like you were saying for anyone who might be having their own experience, because like you said, you know, unfortunately this isn't something that when you graduate from high school or graduate from college, just magically goes away. We've discussed, I think there has been definitely a shift in the way that, you know, women are portrayed in the media and women's relationships. And um, that conversation has definitely changed, which I think, and I hope has helped relationships in real life. But the reality is, is that we're not all going to get along all of the time. And you know, we really, we shouldn't, we, we are all different and, and that's okay. And I think what it really comes down to is, you know, it's about respect. It's about respecting ourselves and, you know, the people in this world enough to not create like this big drama filled campaign against someone. If you have a difference of opinion, if you don't like someone that's okay, but like, let it end there. And you know what? I think it's about having enough respect. If something is going on between you and another peer, rather than talking, you know, to your group of friends and then that person talking to their group of friends, that's how it turns into this big web of drama. That's really not fun to deal with. It's draining. It's exhausting. Um, It's not a fun thing to deal with. And you can really delete all of that trauma by, again, just having enough respect for yourself and for that person to, if there is a disagreement, if there is something going on between the two of you to just go directly to them and have an open and honest conversation about what's been going on and, and come to, you know, some sort of resolution, which might be that the two of you, you know, moving forward, aren't friends, but again, that's, that's okay. And then you can go about your separate ways without having this kind of like vendetta against that person. It's like, we're, we're not friends, but that's okay. We're just two humans living, you know, on this planet going about, you know, our lives and our days. And, and we don't need to fill our conversations and our minds and our thoughts with this person and and why we don't like them. So I think it really does come down to just respecting yourself and, and the people around you to, to have those conversations, which, you know, can be really hard and and can seem really scary for sure. But, you know, that's something that even, you know, we, we share with middle schoolers and high schoolers and, you know, we've kind of seen that played out. And if someone's feeling a little too scared to go and have a face-to-face, you know, conversation because they're fearful of that confrontation, um, we've seen them, you know, write a letter to that person um, Mm. addressing what's been going on and, and kind of having that be the starting point where they can be calm in a place, you know, mentally where they like can get all of their feelings and emotions and thoughts out and not like be in the moment, like fueled with the adrenaline that can sometimes come with, you know, the drama that's surrounding whatever might be going on. And so I also, I I remember for me personally, a turning point when it came to just even 
Because I think often you'll hear somebody say something negative about someone else and your your reaction can be to just kind of agree with the person because you're just kind of going along with whoever's there in the moment. And one of my best friends, when we first became friends, I noticed that when other people would be would be saying something negative about anyone else, she would just always be silent and she would just kind of, you know, look away or start talking about something else and just change the subject. And I loved that about her. And in fact, it was one of the reasons why I loved having her as, or I have loved having her as a friend for so long. And I immediately adopted that exact same policy because I thought, you know what, that's great. She just doesn't even, even participate at all when someone's saying, Mm. and it, and it works because it becomes awkward for the person who's saying something negative and then they just drop it. And I love that. Yeah, me too. But it changed. I felt, I feel like it made a huge difference in my entire social life. And this is probably maybe six years ago now, seven years ago, something like that. But it just completely changed even the people I would spend time with and, and the conversations I was having. So I love that. It is. It's so easy. Like you said, like to be in a situation and just, and not even, you know, you have nothing wrong with the person that, or like the person that's being talked about, but just to kind of get caught up in that and if we're like not thoughtful about our words and our actions, um, it is kind of easy to, to get caught up in, and like, you know, not even realize like, Oh my goodness, you walk away from a situation. You're like, wait, we just spent 30 minutes talking about this person that I actually really like, like what just happened. You know, if you, if you, if you do let yourself kind of go down that road and, and so, yeah, just being, you know, not only respectful, but then also just like thoughtful about, you know, the power of your words, because our words, or like you mentioned, like lack thereof, um, you know, (laughs) not contributing, um, they really do hold so much weight and so much power. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. I found this conversation really informative and interesting, and I'm so glad that I got to speak with you both and absolutely love all of the work that you're doing. And I think the ambassador program is amazing. I definitely want to look into doing that because I think it's genius Mm -hmm. and just thank you. For everything. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your support. And it was so great chatting. Of course. Yeah. And if anyone's interested in um, booking an assembly or learning more about Kind Campaign, obviously kindcampaign.com. Follow us on social at Kind Campaign. All of our programming mm-hmm. is free of charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's free for schools. We're really proud to wow. be able to say that. So that's where all our fundraising efforts go. If you're interested in donating, we would greatly appreciate it. We need it right now. But yeah, it all goes into making all of this free for schools. So fantastic. Yeah. Thank you both. We do. The Bright Side is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. Our theme music is by Maddie Noyes. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-N, or email the show at thebrightsidewithkc at gmail.com. Have a happy day. Ooh, I never